Hello, everyone. It's Dan Gavazdan here. And this is Mark Giannacchio. And we're here to kind of sadly pass on some news from the world of Spider-Man. I'm sure many of you have already heard about it, but if you haven't, Mark, why don't you tell us what happened this week? Yeah, uh, we, we found out on uh, Friday, July 6th, that uh, Spider-Man's co-creator, the, the artistic uh, genius behind Spidey, uh, Steve Dicko, had passed away. Uh, they actually uh, believe that he, he had died on June 29th and was found by uh, police in New York City a couple days later in his home. Uh, he was 90 years old. So uh, we thought we would kind of share you know, some of our own thoughts and impressions about Steve Ditko and also kind of capture some of the outpouring from the rest of the comic book community, uh, as well as your thoughts. Uh, I know many of you have called in, uh, left us some voicemails that we're going to play on the air here. I mean, this is just pretty much a, a, a big tribute to Steve Ditko, who I imagine if you're listening to a Spider-Man centric podcast, whether you realize it or not, has had a huge influence uh, on your fandom for this character, right, Dan? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we spent a whole season talking about, you know, his run on Amazing Spider-Man recently. So if you're new to the show, why not go back and listen to that season, especially Episode 9, our Dicko-centric episode where we had two great interviews with a Dicko historian, Nick Caputo, and uh, artist Ron Friends, who was inspired by Dicko's work. And I think they're going to say more information about Dicko than we could possibly say on this episode. We're really just kind of trying to do a, a small tribute here. So if you want more Dicko information, we got a whole season of it. And I hope you guys would go back and check that out and learn more about the man and his work. But uh, let's start this off. We There were a bunch of uh, great outpourings of, of thoughts on social media. And we thought uh, we would share a few of our favorites from people mainly that work in comics who knew or were inspired by the work of Steve Dicko. So, Mark, you've got the first one here. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think it's just fitting to um, go right to the official Marvel uh, Comics Twitter feed. They obviously had something out uh, the day of his passing, and they wrote, Today, the Marvel family mourns the loss of Steve Dicko. Steve transformed the industry and the Marvel Universe, and his legacy will never be forgotten. Our thoughts are with his family, loved ones, and fans during this sad time. And uh, I have one here from Chip Zdarsky, who is currently writing the Spectacular Spider-Man book. Um, and he wrote, It's been almost 60 years, and nobody was able to top his original creations. We just keep going back to them, because we would never be as weird and cool and timeless. Rest in peace, Dicko. Yeah, I mean, what Chip wrote there, I think, is kind of going to play to a bit of a theme of what we hear about Steve. You know, I, I mean, obviously, as we mentioned, I mean, he was he was found in his home. Uh, he lived on his own. Uh, you know, as we as we talked about in that, our episode last season, Dan, uh, you know, Steve, Steve Dicko was was his own his own man, his own guy. And, you know, he's even being dubbed in a lot of articles about his passing as the, the J.D. Salinger of comics. For those who uh, don't catch the reference, J.D. Salinger was the the writer of uh, author of Catcher in the Rye, the very famous book uh, from the 1950s or 60s. Dan, do you know offhand? I think it's the 50s. I think you might be right. You would know more than me. Yeah, I, I um, you know, and, and Salinger was very kind of closed off and to himself and was out of the public eye for years, even though he wrote 
what many consider to be like the great American novel. Um, so again, you're going to kind of hear, um, in terms of kind of this, this theme of, of, of kind of weird and out there and, and, and isolation, uh, which brings us to uh, our next uh, tweet from uh, our good friend, Jerry Conway. Uh, he wrote on Twitter, sad news. I only met Ditko once, though he drew several of my scripts. A quiet guy, he seemed more distant than intense. Wish he found more joy as a creator to equal the joy he gave me as a fan. What an amazing and comparable talent. Yeah, I thought that one was really interesting. I liked his description as distant rather than intense. I mean, I think a lot of the things you hear are about how intense Ditko was in his, uh, not only his politics, but just the way he kind of cared for his own artwork. He was kind of the artist's artist, you know. He accepted no substitutes. If something was printed on a paper he di- didn't like, he wasn't going to go through with it, you know. He he was picky and he had the ability to do so and he exercised that ability all the time. But there is a level of sadness to the story of Steve Ditko and I don't know him personally, but you, know, you you read all these accounts and they paint a kind of sad picture of a, a man very much alone. And you know, I can't help but think about that the police found him several days after he, he passed. And that in itself is kind of sad portrait. And I think Jerry's right. And I think that's kind of the point of what we're doing here today is like how can we – Yeah, he won't ever hear it. But the world needs to know how much joy Ditko – brought to to all of his fans right and he, frankly even if he was around to hear it he would probably tell us we were being silly so yeah absolutely. <laughs> so uh next is joe casada uh, he wrote only a small group of individuals can claim that they have affected and redefined not just an industry but popular culture worldwide Steve Ditko is one of those few who dared to break molds every time his pencil and pen hit a blank sheet of paper Right. And our next one here is from uh, writer Jason Aaron, who uh, has not only written some Spider-Man stories, but also was on the main Doctor Strange book. And, you know, it's worth noting here, you know, we are obviously a Spider-Man centric podcast, but uh, Steve Ditko's other huge creation to the Marvel Universe was Doctor Strange uh, in the 1960s. And I mean, talk about a weird and wild book. I mean, those original Doctor Strange comics from that era are just something to behold. Uh, I mean, really out there stuff. I love them. And um, and even more, I think, indicative of Steve Ditko without the without Stan Lee's, you know, like reining him in in any way. Yeah, I think Stan just let Steve do whatever he wanted for that book, and it showed. I mean, it's a really incredible book. I definitely recommend you all go back and read those. But uh, Jason Aaron wrote, I would have given anything to have lived inside Steve Ditko's head for a day, and he got to do it for 90 years. We were all just lucky to be able to enjoy the fruits of his beautiful weirdness. Thank you for always being you, Mr. Ditko. Rest in peace. Next up, we've got a quote here from Neil Gaiman, who actually met Ditko during the dramatic finale of the BBC documentary In Search of Steve Ditko. And if you haven't seen that movie, it's on YouTube. Just go to YouTube and look up In Search of Steve Dicko. It's like, what, 70 minutes? And yeah. worth every second of it. You'll learn so much. See all kinds of great interviews, including some that we featured on the show before. I'm sure we've even brought up this documentary before. But Neil Gaiman, the great writer, shows up at the end of it. And 
I won't. I don't want to spoil it because it's a great ending. So go watch it. But this is what uh, Neil Gaiman had to say in an interview with Wa- the Washington Post on Friday night. Without Steve Dicko, there would have been none of the weird stuff off to the side. And the thing that made Marvel was that glorious combination of the Dicko and the Kirby. I was just fascinated by his vision that seemed always much more mundane, much more real, and much more concerned with moral choices than anything else in comics. Excellent. Kind of going over to some other media here, we have uh, our good friend of the show, um, Ron Friends, who... You know, I mean, he, Ron expressed some sentiments about Steve, but uh, one of the things he did in tribute to him over the weekend was he actually put up the commission that uh, we we had done for Amazing Spire Talk for our Patreon uh, our, uh, subscribers uh, of basically the, the artwork inspired by our season one theme of Lee and Dicko of, of, of kind of a, a collage of, of that famous scene from Amazing Spider-Man number 33 where he's lifting the steel and machinery off his over his head and, and freeing himself. I, I, I just thought that was a really cool tribute to Steve and, and, and obviously to us. I mean, Ron even wrote at the bottom of that commission, and it was in loving tribute to Steve Dicko. I mean, this was obviously done months before uh, Dicko's passing. So, you know, obviously Ron did that from a place of love. And again, go back and listen to that episode nine in season one to hear some more of how uh, Steve Dicko influenced Ron friends. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so speaking of another friend of our show, uh, Howard Mackey uh, posted on Facebook, uh, just learning of the death of Steve Dicko. He was a giant. A highlight of my early career was an editor was getting to work with Steve whenever I had a chance. He would bring pages into my office and insist on describing the action in each panel. The entire time he was talking, often with gum in his mouth, the only thought running through my mind was, this is Steve Dicko. Peace. I I think we all could probably understand those sentiments if you get to meet someone as influential as as Steve Dicko, right? Yeah, I would have to restrain myself from bringing up Spider-Man. I don't know if you saw Dan Slott's post, but he as an intern got to meet Steve Dicko when he was trying to get him to sign off on uh, Squirrel Girl artwork. And Steve Dicko came into the office and Dan got him to sign these forms but had to restrain himself from bringing up Spider-Man, which if you know anything about Dan Slott, that's like a miracle all on its own. Because <laughs> uh, he knew that Steve Dicko would like leave if he did because he's so sensitive about the character. And uh, yeah, I don't know, I just... I don't think I would be able to restrain myself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's it's funny, Dan. When I was doing research for my book uh, a couple of years ago, you know, I had reached out to um, Robin Snyder, who is the the I guess the editor of the comic zine that uh, published a lot of Steve Ditko's essays and artwork uh, over the last uh, couple of decades. You know, it was a very transactional kind of conversation because I was trying to get additional research about, you know, Spider-Man and Dicko. And, and, you know, I had that understanding that, you know, there was no other way to get information about Steve Dicko and Spider-Man except, you know, whatever kind of can be glommed from those essays and stuff. He didn't talk about it in any other uh, outlet. And... I didn't even push the issue like, oh, maybe I should like, you know, like I've been reading stories on social media uh, the last couple of days about people who like called up Steve and and essentially got hung up on by him because they were asking questions for an interview. 
And and keep in mind, in all these instances, like let's not make it sound like Steve Dicko was like this like nasty nasty individual. He wasn't. He's basically described universally as very kind of stern but but kind um and just very official you know like it's like nope i don't talk about that nope i'm not taking pictures nope i don't give interviews but have a nice day right i mean you know (laughs) that's kind of how his 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 whole um his whole verb for the most part so um but maybe i i I could have maybe pushed a little more just so i could have added myself to the, the 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 list of people who got hung up on or was told kindly to 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 sod off by Steve Dicko, right? Right. Nobody <laughs> nobody would slam the door in your face as nicely as Steve Dicko would. There you go. <laughs> yeah. That's really interesting. Um yeah, I I like what you said. I, I want to be careful about what we say about Dicko when we talk about it cuz we're going to talk about our personal thoughts on hearing the news and, and our reflections on it, but like I want to be sure that we acknowledge him for the man that he was. Like he was absolutely a genius to be sure, but like you said, also difficult and uncompromising, an artistic idealist, but with like a sort of sadness and distance that I think could you know you could read it as the healthiest thing for an artist to kind of put some distance between them and their work and the public, or maybe even like but alternately the unhealthiest thing to kind of be so distant from the, I guess the effects of, of your work. And to that point, like a tribute, this tribute in of itself would probably be the last thing he would ever want. First of all, it's a podcast. I can't imagine that he was into podcasts, but like I was thinking the other day, he was the number one trending thing on Twitter. Like what would Steve Dicko think to, to even that notion? So I just want to be like, you know, I think re-listening to our episode nine of the last season, I I was I want to be really sure that we don't like glamorize the man. He is a man after all, and I think and you you posted something really nice. I think the only man that could have done Spider Man. Yeah, I mean, I, I in the immediate aftermath of hearing the news that he had died on Friday, I um I put something up on my personal Facebook page where. I referred to Dicko. I mean, the the word that immediately jumped out at me was enigmatic. And in a lot of ways, that that works with Peter Parker and Spider Man. I mean, there this this is a character. Yes, we 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 love Peter and we love Spider Man, and you know he's a superhero. But that's kind of what has always set him apart is the fact that there's a, a quirkiness and. And something very, uh, you know, he's an enigma. <laughs> I think it's just the best way to put it. He's neurotic. He's he's all over the place. It's it's not, you know, it's not. He's not Superman. He's not even Batman, who is certainly a very complex character, but is still kind of a more, I find, traditional grown-up hero. Where, um, and I feel the fact that Dicko Dicko's just his his entire attitude and approach to life. When you go through those original 38 issues and two annuals, I mean, it's just all over those comics and not even just in, in with Peter and Spider-Man, but also with the supporting cast. And, you know, you the, the, the villains, the villains are, are villains that really only Dicko could create. And it's it's fitting that those are the ones that have kind of stood the test of time, too. It, it's it's it just feels right that. This is that these. This is the world that that this man created. Um, like you said, it, it, it's it's difficult to kind of sometimes talk about it and and try and 
not separate who the man was versus what his work was. But I mean, if we're talking strictly the work, I mean, it's, it's just kind of otherworldly. And it, it took me a while then to, to, and I think I talked about this in season one to fully come around to Ditko because of how weird and different it is from basically everything that followed. But I definitely found as I've gotten older and probably become a little, little bit of an enigma myself in some ways <laughs> that I really have fallen into what, what Dicko has done. And, 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 you know, even today, like, you know, when I think about the artwork and, and just the vision of what, what really turns me on as a Spider-Man fan, like I, you know, I always talk about Marcos Martin and how he's kind of illustrating my dreamscape. And I feel like Marcos Martin is basically just aping Dicko in a lot of ways, you know, like it's, it's just something totally different and out there and kind of gets been, it's both bold, but also subtle. Uh, and uncompromising, as we've been saying. Yeah, it's it's interesting you say, like, focusing on the work and not the man. Like, that's that's how Dicko would have it. You know, like, he was all about the work. He only, he was focused on the work, and he wants you to focus on the work, and not on his personality or whatever, although his personality would find its way into the work. And I think, you know... He had one of the, some of the most uh, kind of boldly opinionated comics work that we I've ever read. You know, even his over the past thirty years, his kind of self-published stuff. It, it's very much straight out of the mind of Steve Ditko and his thoughts. But yeah, like you, uh, Ditko's work. You know, I don't. I would. I don't think I would have said that he was one of my favorite Spider-Man artists until a few years ago. But. His work was one of the foundations of why I became interested in Spider-Man in the first pit place. You know, Amazing Spider-Man number nine was the second issue of Spider-Man that I ever read in a reprint. And Amazing Spider-Man number 33 was the third that I ever mm. read. And both of those really blew me away. And as much as I reread my first comic, Amazing Spider-Man 375, like, once I got past that, issue 33 was the one that I kept coming back to over and over and over again. You know, and we talked about this in season one, obviously. So let's, let's, you know, but we can obviously bring it up again here because it's fitting. I mean, when you talk about Amazing Spider-Man number 33, you always come back to the sequence, uh, you know, with Spider-Man and the, and, and the, the tons of debris and machinery. You know, someone had shared it on, on Twitter Friday. I, I actually put it up on my personal Facebook page, just those four pages. And I'm not trying to be hyperbolic here, Dan, but I cannot think of a greater example of sequential art in the superhero medium. I mean, just what what is captured on those four pages and and panel after panel of of this struggle. It's just you don't you, you can't find that anywhere else. I don't even know. And it's not that it's like the most glamorous artwork, but just just. Like I said, in terms of sequential art and what this medium is, it, it's just the quintessential example of it for me. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about that issue um, over the past few days, and I was thinking, you know, everybody talks about the lifting sequence for good reason. But as a kid, the sequence that stuck with me the most, other than that sequence, was the one where Spider-Man, who's on the brink of exhaustion, having already defeated ox goons by swinging his arms around is still swinging his arms into the air and hitting nobody unwilling to give up and i was thinking about that this week because i think it's kind of a fitting sequence for dicko himself who 
even at the age of 90, was still producing comics. He just finished a Kickstarter a couple months ago, and I'm expecting his final comic in the mail any day now because uh, Robin Snyder, who you mentioned before, had just shipped it out. And I, you know, I was looking at the Kickstarter today to see like if they had updated it now that Ditko had passed away, if if there was going to be a delay or something. And the most recent update on the Kickstarter said, "Well, what's next?" We've got a, a big bang, a big surprise coming for you, you know, later with our next book. And it's like, you know, this guy, he just passed away, but we've got, you know, he was still working on something. Like, I don't know any comics creators that are in their 90s working on books. Right. And in terms of what's next, you, you, you have a little personal anecdote about what's next in terms of your relationship with Steve, right? Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I, you know, I mentioned on the show that I wrote a letter to Dicko, you know, asking him about, you know, telling him how much I loved his work and all that kind of typical stuff and asking him, you know, telling him that he inspired me, but asking like, what were his inspirations? And he wrote this back to me and it's been really sticking with me this week. He wrote, I never kept any kind of record of what inspired me or directed me to one area or another. The one thing in doing comic books is that the past work is irrelevant. As a freelancer, my focus is on what next. And I can't stop thinking about that, what next, because, you know, I I consider myself an artist in, in some ways. And, you know, there's that kind of drive to produce and, and create content that you have. And this man managed to maintain that as a freelance artist into his 90s, you know, even this was in November when he mailed me this, this whole idea, what's next for Steve Dicko? And, you know, that kind of uh, passion and that kind of uh, love for the medium being extinguished, it, it, it is sad, you know, but also inspiring. Absolutely. Dan, was there anything, I mean, again, we're, we're, Spider-Man people, we talk about Spider-Man, and obviously Steve Dicko is instrumental in Spider-Man, but is there anything from not the Spider-Man world that of his work that has kind of stuck with you? Yeah, uh, recently I've been doing a reread of kind of or the early years of Marvel and, and of areas I've never read before in the early years of Marvel, and I was reading a non-Spider-Man book, which should come to a surprise to many of you, I imagine, <laughs> and... Uh, uh, it's Tales of Suspense number 41, which starts with an Iron Man story, but then goes to a backup story, which was actually drawn by Steve Ditko. And this was I just read this a couple weeks ago, and in it, an astronaut is traveling with his spacecraft to the end of the universe, and he gets to this point where his ship can go no further. He's bumped up against the edge of the universe. And so his only way to really get a glimpse of it is to open a window. And so he opens this little circular window hatch, which reminded me of this Roy Lichtenstein painting of the eye looking through the, the hole in the wall. So it's this man, he's looking through this hole out into the edge of space, allowing himself to peer beyond where the universe ends into this white light that's bathing him. And he proclaims, at last... I know. I know the secret of the universe. And I guess I just want to say, Mr. Dicko, 
If you're out there, I hope you've found your own portal to the end of the universe and that you as well have discovered all of its secrets. Hey, this is Abe Seaman from New York calling about my memories of Steve Ditko. It so happens the very first Spider-Man comic I ever bought was in, I guess, July of 1966, Spider-Man number 38, just a guy named Joe. And that just happened to be the very last issue done by Steve Ditko. Jazzy John Romita took over number 39. And I remember the incredible layouts and panels and uh, had been only reading comics for a few years, reading my older brothers, but I was amazed and stunned, then started looking at the back catalog, reading his uh, Doctor Strange as well, and uh, the most amazing artist, still the most influential, and uh, he will be missed. Thanks. Hi, my name is Robert Morvey. I come from Chicago, and I just want to say a few words about Steve Ditko. When I was younger, I had a lot of issues in my life, and I found that improving myself and and taking inspiration from superheroes was one of the best things that I could do. And comics like Ultimate Spider-Man by Brian Michael Vendis showed that throwing away the parasite from myself to be a better person was a good way to go about my life. And it, it helped a lot, um, but the comic that really helped me the most was was Amazing Spider-Man 33 uh, by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. And it showed me not just to do things for myself, but to do things to better myself for the sake of others, all through the art of Mr. Ditko and then the writing of Stan Lee and Ditko. And... I'm feeling a tremendous loss right now um, of a great inspiration in my life. And I think I can speak for a lot of Spider-Man fans and comic book fans in general when I say Steve Ditko will be missed. Hey, it's Kyle Christ, writer of The Spectacular Spider-Snark. When I think about Steve Ditko, it really all comes back to Amazing Fantasy 15 and, and in just 11 pages he was able to change the world, change all of history. And we can kind of apply that concept to our own art. You know, we, we for, for in many ways, that was just another assignment in a long career. And, you know, we too, as creatives, don't know when we're going to create that piece of content that will transcend time and history. And... He was the he was the greatest. He's the Beatles of comics, and it's kind of interesting that they parallel, and they'll all live forever. Rest in peace, Steve. Just go. Hey, Mark and Dan, Kevin Ewing calling from Western New York. When I saw that Steve Ditko passed away, one of the fathers of my all-time favorite fictional character and co-creator of the best horn supporting cast in all of comics, I surprised myself by how it hit me. I'm someone who does not get too emotional when someone non-fictional dies that I or my loved ones do not personally know. I was gathered around a fire with my family at the time, and after composing myself, I told them the news that Spidey's co-creator died. Not surprisingly, they had never heard of Steve Ditko, 
so I told them about the creation of Spider-Man and the type of person he was. Most of that knowledge is probably thanks to the previous season of your show. My opinion is that Ditko's run with Stan is the best Spidey run of all time, and I'll end by sharing my favorite Steve Ditko panels that weren't contained within Amazing Fantasy 15 or the Master Planner arc. All the splash pages of Spidey fighting the Sinister Six from Annual 1, the unmasking by Doc Ock in Issue 12, Spider-Man on the cave ceiling as the Green Goblin attacks from the cover of Issue 14, and the image of Spider-Man keeping Peter and Betty apart from Issue 30. Rest in peace, Steve. Hi, Dan and Mark. This is Jason. I'm from Richmond, Virginia. Uh, my website is Bronze Age Reprints for what that's worth. Uh, I'm a longtime fan of the podcast. And, and uh, Steve Ditko, uh, I'd say he was more than just a great artist and comic creator. I'd say he's what some people would call an American original in the same way. Uh, folks like Walt Disney and Mark Twain were American originals. Uh, of course, Ditko is, is a, a cranky, randy, and reclusive American original, but he's still uh, an American original nonetheless. Uh, when I learned of Ditko's death, the first thing I thought of was Marvel Special Edition number one featuring the spectacular Spider-Man. Now, that title might not be familiar, but it was one of those Marvel Treasury-sized reprint books that came out in the 70s, and it featured a tabloid-sized reprint of the Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 1, the classic introduction of the Sinister Six. And this was the first time I ever saw Ditko's art. I was eight years old, and it blew me away. Just so much action and uh, dynamism. Just characters seemed to jump off the pages. And uh, if you'll recall... Every battle in that story ends with a full page of Spider-Man and the villain, which was unusual when that story was published in the 60s. And when you see those full pages reprinted in tabloid size, they look even more amazing, if you'll forgive me for using that, that adjective. Uh, and that book, uh, the, those stories, uh, or seeing the, that issue reprinted in tabloid size, that was just about the best introduction to Ditko's art that I can imagine Anyway, thanks for including fans in this tribute episode. Uh, and, uh, I, I don't, I, just, I don't have a lot to say to sum up Ditko other than anytime a 90 year old man, uh, dying is not a tragedy, but uh, anytime someone who's left that big a mark on his line of work, his industry, uh, his art form, it's, it's always, uh, uh you know, it, it's a good time to, it, it's a sad day and it's a good time to, reassess his importance and his contributions to the world of comic books and popular culture. Anyway, thanks a lot. Hi, this is Afik. I'm calling from Palo Alto, California. And my opinion about Steve Ditko is that he was a, he's a role model for me. Thank you. Hey, Mark and Dan, this is Scott McElroy, uh, a.k.a. Uh, Dr. Underscore Spidey on Twitter. Um, thanks for everything you do. Um, my my uh, experience with Ditko uh, was in the uh, late 70s. They had these pocketbooks that reprinted um, the first 20 issues of Amazing Spider-Man, and they had you know, this is elementary school for me in the 70s. Um, that was like my first experience with Ditko, was reading those. I read those over and over and over again. So it was Amazing Fantasy 15 all the way to 
Amazing number 20. So I had a pretty good knowledge of, I, I just love those books so much. Uh, and then later on when I went back and, you know, really started collecting um, Amazing Spider-Man and all the other Spidey's uh, appearances, you know, I always had those to as a foundation uh, for me. And then also those pocketbooks also had the Hulk and they had all the Search for Eternity saga uh, in there. So that's, a, you know, that's, that's my good memory of, of Ditko, always laying the foundation uh, for the Silver Age of Marvel. So, hey, thanks for everything you guys do and uh, for, you know, keeping Spidey alive. Okay, talk to you later. Bye-bye. Hi, guys. I'm a big fan of your show and a first-time caller to your show. My name is Superfan David D., and I'm calling you from New York City. Guys, you asked about remembrances or dedications to Steve Ditko, and of course, everybody knows that he was instrumental in the creation of The Amazing Spider-Man, and probably even more instrumental in the creation of Doctor Strange. And those are two characters he'll be remembered for forever. But as Jamie Colville pointed out on Facebook, not only did he touch those two characters, but he had a big hand in the development of the Hulk and the Hulk's early appearances in Tales of Stodge. And Jamie points out that the whole idea of Bruce Banner getting mad and turning into the Hulk came from those issues. And also, Ditko went on to uh, design a sleek Iron Man armor after Iron Man went from the gray bulky armor to the, the classic gold and red. Well, Ditko redefined that later on, actually in issue number 48. So he's had a hand in a lot of Marvel characters. I followed Ditko all through Marvel, then I followed him over to Charlton, where he did the mystery stories, which he loved working at Charlton, from what I've heard, because they didn't hassle him about anything he did. Whatever he turned in was good, and they published it. I also followed Ditko to D.C. with The Creeper and also Hawk and Dove. So he's done a lot of work that I've followed for many, many years. The one thing I can say about Steve Ditko is, first of all, he's an original. He is definitely an original in a world of comic book illustration. And also what I'd like to say about Ditko is he was a man who was dedicated to his ideals, and he lived them. And that he lived to be 90 years old is a pretty amazing feat. And also, the great thing is, his work will be around for years and years to come, for younger people to come and discover him, and older people maybe to come and rediscover some of the great work by Steve Ditko. So please look around for it. Look for it on the Internet. Go to your local library and look it up there and redefine or rediscover some more of Ditko's work. Guys, thanks again for this opportunity. I enjoy your program. It's Superfan David B. signing off from New York City. Thank you. Hey, guys. This is Matt from Untold. I just wanted to call in because uh, Ditko's passing left me with an impression as much as anyone, and I just wanted to note as much as we love him for his work with Stan Lee on Spider-Man and all that. This guy was a draftsman to the very end. He has a Kickstarter that ended just, what, about a couple of weeks ago on comics that he was working on, uh, you know, basically until the very end. This was a man who started and believed in comics before there was any public perception about it and is really a hero for the medium, not just for one of our favorite characters. And 
it really makes you reflect because it's sad that he passed. On the other hand, his legacy has gone on for so long. Like, I, I don't think of it as a tragedy, but just a good reason for us to remember and celebrate all the great work he did. And I just would like to press everyone to, you know, find some Ditka work that they haven't seen before and give it a read and get a feel for what the man contributed to comics as a whole. Thanks. Peace. Bye. My name is John from Orlando. I just wanted to say a few words about Steve Ditko. I know a lot has been said about how he was difficult to work with and how he was really firm with his beliefs. But I think more important than any of that stuff is how his work helped impact others. The influence his work had on me specifically with Spider-Man is pretty undeniable. I was lucky to have some great role models when I was a kid, you know, with both my parents. But I still think that a lot of my moral center comes from Steve Ditko's work on Amazing Spider-Man. His uh, first issues taught me that with great power, there must also come great responsibility. And his last issues on the series helped teach me that when the chips are down and you want to give up, that's when you try the hardest to persevere. Um, those are all codes I live by, and that's probably why I chose the profession that I'm in. I've been a firefighter for 14 years now, firefighter EMT, and I think a lot of the reason why I chose to help others was because of how much I love Spider-Man growing up and the lessons that he taught me. Spider-Man taught me that if you're capable of helping others, you should do that. And really, by extension, Mr. Ditko helped teach me that as well. So, you know, I just want to thank him for basically helping shape who I am as a person, I guess, whether he, it was his intention or not to have that kind of impact on people. So I guess at the end of the day, all I can say is rest in peace, Steve. And thank you for everything. Hi, everyone. This is Mark Diefenderfer calling in from Lafayette, Indiana. Steve Ditko was the first comic book artist whose work I admired. This is somewhat anomalous given my age, 30, and the fact that Ditko's six-year tenure on The Amazing Spider-Man ended more than 20 years before I was born. But while many young comic readers of the early 90s gravitated toward more contemporary artists like Todd McFarlane, Mark Silvestri, or Jim Lee, I was wholly devoted at the age of five or six to the 1960s superhero comics then being reprinted for the first time as part of the Marvel Masterworks line, which were freely available from my local library. I haven't been there in nearly 25 years, but I still remember the little room in the Iowa City Public Library where I first encountered Spider-Man, the Fantastic Four, the Hulk, and Doctor Strange. It was low-ceilinged, dimly lit, with rickety wooden bookshelves and brown nylon carpet. That room is as deeply ingrained in my memory as the colorful illustrations by Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko, especially Ditko, whose drawings I traced over and over again on translucent artist's paper. Over time, the lines on the pages of those library books became indented from my repeated tracings and retracings, and so gradually, for me, the drawings of Steve Ditko took on increasingly physical texture. Running my fingers across the pages, I could actually feel the contours of Spider-Man's strange and gangly form, the web lines of his costume, the cross-hatched underarm webbing that 
in my mind, allowed him to fly. Although Ditko would undoubtedly grow as an artist over the course of his time at Marvel Comics, his most evocative images for me were always the two splash pages he drew for Amazing Spider-Man number one. The first threw a spotlight on Spider-Man as he endured the jeers of New York City's unthankful populace. Freak, public menace, they shout. In the second, the city is menaced by an oversized profile of Spider-Man's first supervillain antagonist, a Soviet spy master of disguise called the Chameleon. What struck me about the chameleon was that Ditko had essentially given him two sets of eyes, a pair of reflective goggles on top of his head, and two narrow slits set in an opaque white mask through which presumably the chameleon was able to see, uh, neither set of which, proverbially speaking, provided windows to the man's soul. The chameleon was, and remains to me still, a faceless terror. Naturally, I traced him more than any other character, uh, with the exception of Spider-Man, of course. Remarkably, many of Ditko's human faces shared the chameleon's uncanny quality. While Peter Parker's eyes were always visible to us, uh, usually via the nerdy spectacles that signaled his intelligence, even as they set him apart from the square-jawed likes of Clark Kent and Bruce Wayne, the eyes of his supporting cast, whether loved ones like Aunt May or tormentors like Flash Thompson, often appeared half-closed or in shadow. Like the members of Spider-Man's colorful rogues gallery, these characters suffer from metaphorical lack of the protagonist's clear-eyed vision. They embody Ditko's Randian fear that should we lose sight of the rational, we will lose ourselves to ignorance, to the dark, to the primal, to the animal. It was perhaps not coincidental that Ditko's most compelling villains, including the chameleon, Dr. Octopus, the vulture, the lizard, the rhino, embodied the avatars of animals. Nor should it surprise us that Spider-Man's mask in the character's very first appearance bore enormous pupils in the centers of both eyes. While the image may look silly today, it's likely that this was Spider-Man as Ditko truly envisioned him. A rational man, eyes wide open, alone in a world of people who cannot see. Ditko practiced in life what he preached in his art, largely isolating himself for the 50 years following his departure from The Amazing Spider-Man. While this frustrated many of his fans, it was his right, and I hope it brought him happiness. Ditko's life may have ended in New York City, but to me he'll always live in that little room in Iowa City, where I can only hope some boy or girl right now is being inspired to write, to draw, to think, or to learn from the comics by Steve Ditko that inspired all of those things in me. Take care. All right, Dan. Well, those were some great phone calls. And obviously, thanks to all of you who, who called our, our, our phone number there to express those sentiments. Uh, again, this is, this is a, a bit of a bittersweet episode for us. But, you know, it, it's I mean, I'm certainly glad, Dan, that you and I got to spend 
that first season, really focusing on the work of, of Stanley and Steve Ditko, you know, that we got to do the episode that we did with Nick Caputo and, and Ron Friends. You know, it's, it, it's, I feel deepened my appreciation, uh, both for his work and just, and just for Spider-Man in general, that we're, we're kind of doing what we're doing here. So I guess it's kind of fitting that when this news hit, that we would kind of hit the pause button on our show for, you know, just a minute here so we can express these sentiments. So, so once again, thank all of, you know, thanks to all of you for, you know, just, just your support and, and for being there for us and our show. And, and, and more broadly, thank you, uh, Steve Ditko, uh, for just your, your influence, your, your uncompromising ways, your vision. Rest in peace, Steve.